well. There it is, Sally. See? Nothing to be frightened about. Ah! Oh, good grief. Yes, ma'am? Yes, ma'am. We were playing hangman. Studying? Oh, yes, ma'am. You're absolutely right. We should have been studying. But you... May I say something, ma'am? You seem to forget that you haven't given us any assignments yet. Now you've done it, here comes a stupid assignment. Miss Halverson, could you repeat our assignment? Write a 500-word theme on what we did this summer? Welcome to DNEX, the Innovation and Entrepreneurs Podcast. And I'm your host, Paul Kuitis. On this episode, we look at the future of education, my favorite topic, with Professor Dr. Stephen Hayward. This is DNEXT. Dr. Stephen Hayward, thanks so much for being a part of, I guess, our ever-growing uh, preoccupation of all things new and innovative. That is D-Next. I think you're maybe now speaker 100 or guest 100, and we're delving into some really uh, new territory. So thank you for being a part of this. No, thanks for the opportunity, Paul. I really appreciate your taking an interest. Well. This is not a newfound interest. This is probably one of my favorite topics uh, since I can remember uh, is education and just this whole idea of how we learn and why we learn and why it's important. I guess I want to start with kind of the, you know, the biggest question I can think of, uh, and you can let me know if I'm on the right track, but is education or higher education or all forms of education, are we ripe for a revolution right now? I think that we are, and I think that they don't happen all that often. I think that revolutions when it comes to education are a relatively infrequent uh, occurrence. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a cliche or stereotype to say that educational institutions are mostly uh, staffed by liberals. I think that's true, but as an institution, the educational institution, the industries itself, like many other industries in that it's it tends to be conservative. It tends to tend towards doing the same thing again and again and again. When it comes to higher education, colleges, universities, there was a brief moment of opening that occurred in kind of the late 60s, early 70s. And education changed it. That was the time of great you know, experiential, experimental colleges. There were tons of new colleges that were founded and all kinds of different modalities and methodologies of education entered. No grades, uh, no, no subjects for the class, all kinds of experiments. And then education closed up right after that. There was a brief opening. And I think for a number of different reasons, um, one, some of them technological, some of them political, some of them social, we're at exactly that same kind of inflection point, a point where education is opening up again and just as there always are, there are forces that are seeking to put things back the way that they were. And uh, I think we got to seize this opportunity. Okay, so if one were to kind of believe 
the current mythology that uh, attracts us all. You know, three of the biggest uh, game changers, and dare I say, almost, you know, philosophers of our modern times, I'm talking about, of course, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, are all famously dropouts. Uh, and they, they, they didn't even, uh, you know, finish what they had started because they felt that it was, well, who knows why, but in the end, it uh, didn't stop them from really dramatically changing the world. So my question is, um, you know, why is this important then, this idea that education is changing? I mean, is it still relevant? Is this still uh, the paradigm that we operate under in terms of how we transfer knowledge? And is that still something that is important in this day and age when almost every single piece of information we can dream of is literally, you know, uh, within a finger point away? Well, I mean, the you know those those three great uh, thinkers and change makers. There's no disputing the, their impact. Uh, there's also a lot of data out there that says that higher education does a lot of good in the world. It uh, you know it on like on a wide basis, it lifts people's wages. It uh, you know promotes democracy. It fights fake news, and uh, at the same time, I think that like whether we see it as being transfer of information, whether we see it as being the development of particular skills, uh, critical thinking methodologies, however you want to frame it, I think that there's something in education that is is worth maintaining, that is worth preserving. The question is how to make it more available, how to make it more accessible to more people now. And I think that we have the opportunity to do that. I'm skeptical about um, doing away like the unschooling of society. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an English professor. I think that there's something important that happens in my classes as to whether we need to keep doing it the same way that we have been doing it for, you know, the last 50 years. I think that that can change. Okay. Have you noticed any changes in students, generally speaking? Are they the same, you know, more or less profile as they were you know, back in the 60s and 80s, or or what are you noticing about students uh, today? Well, I think that I think that we have a student population that is increasingly centering what they want to do, what they want to learn at the in their educational experience. Like, in we we're gone. Gone is the time when we could. I think that when you know when you and I were, uh, you know, when I went to the University of Toronto. And there was never an opportunity. There was never any. Uh, there was never any question of my telling my professors, "Hey, here's what I would like out of the class, or here's how I think it should be run, or here are my expectations from this educational exchange." It was very much a you know sage on the stage. I think that we're moving away from that kind of that kind of exchange, that kind of um, you know sort of top down information exchange, and moving towards a more a more democratizing impulse that we see in our students and they're asking more of professors in classes they're asking they're participating more in terms of 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 creating their educational experience and i think that if we don't pay attention to that it's a similar kind of thing like in the late 60s right that was the time of student revolt that was the time of uh, the civil rights movement that was the time of first wave feminism when students were coming to these time-worn educational institutions and saying, hey, listen, the times, they are a-changing, and you got to change too. I think that this is a moment like that, 
At the same time, the student population of today is more anxious than other generations, perhaps. I mean, I don't know whether that's true of other generations, but certainly like self-care, general wellness, that's also a real concern. And the more that we can find a model that centers the user in education, the better I think those outcomes are going to be as well. I think we saw a little bit of that kind of emerge during COVID, and I'm, I'm interested to see what the future of that is. Okay, so when we talk about what technology can do to, um, I guess, expedite uh, that that vision, uh, you know, this whole idea again, and I, and I mean, I think back to when uh, I was a student compared to maybe 15 years ago when my nephews were a student compared to seeing how my daughters interact and um, literally, uh, you know, they have uh, maybe a uh, hundred times more data information more easily than I had access to back then. And so they can get ahead of the curriculum if they if they feel so motivated or if there's a reason for them to to do that. How how fundamentally and maybe you know maybe sort of keep this at a high level if possible, but how fundamentally uh, uh, changed is this idea of education now and the technological age that we're living in. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, but just this ability to really access all this information, um, uh, do we need to sort of rethink what education is? Anyway, that's a big question, but I'll let you tackle it. Well, in, in different ways. I mean, I think in some way it definitely has changed, right? Like you're, you're living in a classroom where if somebody has a question, if there's a fact, uh you know you can look it up right away now when you and i were coming up like in the 90s that wasn't the case you know if somebody thought something about something in a conversation either in a class or in a bar uh you know on a bus you had no way to test it you know in any kind of way if there were more than two people in a conversation you know who basically thought let's say that nelson mandela was dead you basically, you know, oh, I guess that, that might be the case, you know, if that was the sort of weight of opinion, like it, there was no way of testing that. And that's changed. Like you get people now have, um, you know, tons of information, as you said, like anybody can Google anything all the time. As to what that does, the way in which that changes the educational exchange, I think it does. It puts an emphasis on skill. And I think ChatGPT provides a really good example of that. Now, what does that do within my particular, you know, neck of the woods, the humanities, reading and writing, skills, those kinds of questions? I don't think it, I don't think it makes them not an issue. I think that makes them more valuable than ever. Because in a world where everybody can get ChatGPT to produce some copy, those people who can really refine that copy in particular and powerful ways, they're going to be a commodity. And that's that's how I think we need to think about education and the economy that the students are entering. It's not it's it's different kinds of skills. It's not entirely new skills, but it's the old skills in a new way. There's nothing new about being able to read and write powerfully. There's nothing new about being able to research in a critical way that's productive and quick. Do they have a new shape? For sure. And I think either the either colleges and universities, either they respond to that or not. And I think they are right now, but in different kinds of ways. 
one of them is to shut down entirely. The other one is to say, okay, here's the brave new world of the technological uh, space that we're in, of the of AI that we're in. How do we teach our students to to navigate that and you know bring what they have to offer to the table? Okay, let's talk a little bit about your TEDx uh, talk, which, and I'll include a link to it on the page for this Thank you. Uh, this podcast. But you had a very interesting uh, example uh, and story to tell about about watching The Office, and it's funny because I actually, through pure divine serendipity, I found myself two weeks ago watching the entire series <laughs> right. again. I, I don't know why. Just uh, so I guess that was a sign. But um, can you maybe explain a little bit about? what you were talking because you had some pretty disruptive ideas about what i'm going to refer to as you know speed delivery but well, tell us a bit more about that if you don't mind yeah well maybe i mean the way that i think about it is in terms of like whether we think about it as speed delivery or whether we characterize it as being compressed learning or intensive learning i had made a documentary on uh, a form of intense intensive learning the block plan where you take one class at a time for three and a half weeks and that got me thinking about what are the educational outcomes that occur in that kind of compressed model? How are they different than uh, than what you get over a typical semester or even a longer space of time? And uh, you know, the the experience that I share in the talk is that I got COVID pretty early on in COVID, and I was quarantined in the basement with my daughter, and I was I wasn't symptomatic at all, but I thought that I had a lot of symptoms, and so she said, "Hey, how about we binge the office?" And we did the whole of it. And we often think about compressed learning or intensive learning in terms of privation, in terms of what it's not, what it can't do. Is that possible? And I flip it and I say, what if it's the case that we think about compressed or speed learning? What if we think about that in terms of intensity? And what if we think about that intensity as not a bad thing? What if we think about that as being an advantage? What if speed and intensity equals retention and then if you look at what retention is in colleges anyway, it's very, very, well, less than encouraging, right? Students remember very little about any of the classes they take at all. And that made me think, hey, what is my relationship to the Netflix series or whatever kind of content that I watched all at once? And the fact is that I remember it better. It's the intensity of it that that speeds retention. And, I, and that for me was a really, crucial part of the puzzle that fell into place uh, during during COVID. And I think that what I'm what I'm talking about in my TED talk, um, like I say in it, you know, I'm not talking about a shell. I'm not giving you a schedule. I'm giving you an approach. I'm giving you a method. I'm giving you a way to change your mind about what is possible within education. And I think that that's the key to impressed, condensed speed learning, however you want to say it. As soon as we change our mind about it we change it and once we've changed both of those things we can begin to scale education we can begin to make those those real movements toward greater affordability and um greater accessibility i mean ed education is let's face it it is a it is one of the last great industries that's that's ready to for disruption the question of how to do it without diminishing without damaging the student experience that's that's been a bit of a riddle for like the last 50 years and 
that's what I want people to think. I want this is like in in the TED talk. I want people to change their mind as much as I want them to change the way that they go about education. Well, certainly, rumor has it that uh, education was one of the the industries that uh, Steve Jobs was looking to uh, turn upside down just before his passing. And his his way in, he uh, was looking at how you revolutionize, um, you know, the textbook using modern information. But it's interesting because if you think about something like Sesame Street, uh, which did revolutionize yeah. education. That was the coming together of a new technology platform at the time, television, because in 1970, television was still relatively new. It only been in households, you know, but since the mid fifties perhaps, uh, and um, looking at how they could use television and I guess storytelling really is what Sesame Street is all about to, you know, to educate kids in a new way. You know, I wonder, you know, stretching, you know, your example, if can we learn physics through a sitcom? I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps there's a new formula there. Do you, do you, do you think that people will be open to experimental models? I know that the, probably the consumers probably would, uh, but I'm just curious about it from a cultural standpoint. Yeah, it's, it, that's, yeah, I mean, thanks for the question. That's a great question. And that's the, that's the literally hundred thousand, if not hundred million dollar question is, can the culture change? Because we have the technology, but culture is sticky. Culture is inert in a way that that tech isn't necessarily, you can have all the technology in the world, unless there's the will and the, uh, the interest in using it, whether there's the investment in it, you know, psychologically to make the difference. That is, that is a really good question. I My answer for you and to that question is absolutely. I think it's going to happen whether we will it or not. Uh, in the, um, in the uh, at the end of the talk, I, I talk about pizza and I compare it to anchovies. Not everybody likes anchovies and not everybody has to have pizza with anchovies on it. But anchovies, which are for me, you know, all those digital technologies, all these different modes of speed learning that really came into their own during the pandemic, they are here. They are the anchovies on the pizza of higher education. They have implications. And whether or not you want to actually order them on your pizza, there's going to be people that are going to want them. And we'll see the ways in which that changes the whole equation. And I, I think it's too, I mean, I really do think as an educator, uh, we have, we are, we are not at a place where we can go back. I think that, I think that those accommodations, those, uh, adjustments, those, those real shifts conceptually that we made during the pandemic, I think that we have a living memory of them now that is going to be hard to erase. It's going to be hard to go back to those to the old days, to the good old days, but I think they're not the, the not so great old days. I'm not interested in going back. I'm interested about seeing about how they impact us now. And I think that it's inevitable. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that, yes, you will develop a sitcom with me that teaches math and <laughs> physics. Yeah, and, and like how you, I mean, that is exactly though the question. Can, I mean, that's easy. Like the, the, the sitcom is the way that you develop math and physics. I mean, one of the things that happened in the pandemic is that all of a sudden we all had to go on Zoom. And then all of a sudden I was having all kinds of discussions with my colleagues about production values in terms of recording their lectures. These are people that before the pandemic were like, how do you Skype someone? 
you know, like that's how fast we're changing. And, uh, you know, it's going to happen whether we will it or not. I mean, as to the delivery mechanism, narrative or equation, like we're already seeing those changes. We already have those things uh, in place. What I think is going to happen is is like a hybrid thing. I think that we right now are in a kind of siloing of is it online? Is it in person? Once we take away that division, once we understand the ways in which online, on-demand educational content can be married to an in-person element, that is really going to be the thing that unlocks potential that we've never seen within education. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there like Tony Robbins, who uh, are, I guess, leading the way in this area that is being referred to as the, the self-education industry, which, you know, I don't know if that is the term that's going to, to stick, but it's certainly um, the one that uh, seems to resonate with people. And just this idea of the way, you know, the way Facebook changed the way we think about media and ownership of media and who actually provides the content. Um, this this notion that there's a splintering off of, of these areas where whatever skill you may have, um, given that you have access to, you know, X number of billion people out there in the universe uh, through the internet, that, you know, anyone can, you know, or not anyone, but a lot more people can create something teachable that they can sell online. And this is sort of a new, decentralized, you know, growing industry. Um, I, I, I'm just curious about what you know and think about that. Is that sort of a blip or is that a trend, a trajectory that uh, we should be looking at the way that every newspaper in the world should have been looking at Facebook 15 years ago? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, the analogy that I would draw really in the present moment is one within the publishing industry. Like, you know, I mean, I think that when I brought out my first book, maybe 20 years ago, I think there were being something like, you know, maybe 3,000, 300,000 books that were being published in the United States. Today, it's 5 million uh, books that are being published in the United States per year. And, and you know, really what that says is that the... Um, is that the barriers to publication, that the gatekeepers of publication, uh, which themselves were always a flawed enterprise anyway, that that's really fallen. Uh, and so we really have this sort of, we're in the middle of this moment of, you know, the democratization of education and the ways in which there's this moment of opening that is not unanalogous to the kind of things that happens in the late 60s, where all of a sudden you have all kinds of other colleges emerge, you know, college of the of the outdoor, college without classrooms, trying to unlock not just the dissemination of knowledge, but the idea of what counts as knowledge to begin with. And I it's 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 interesting to to sort of think about that both from within the academy and you know outside of it, you know. And I really actually don't know what is going to happen. There's always going to be I think at the same time as a lot of information is going to be available, we're going to see more and more of that, of course, there is also going to be a demand for a knowledgeable, reliable space uh, or, or organization, institution, whether that's Tony Robbins or whoever, who can curate that knowledge in an effective and efficient way. You're always, the product is always going to matter. And I think that that's a way that I'm thinking about it. That's at the center of that self-education, a more 
designed approach to education rather than the you know well you got to finish this class you got to do x breadth requirements in order to get your ba i think that that moment is is sort of, is slipping away that kind of core curriculum at the same time we're also aware of the degree to which that you know there are some classes that you need to take in college that you don't want to take and you learn something as to how that kind of foundational knowledge how that kind of core aspect of a given area is that still going to be crucial i would argue that even in a widely dispersed knowledge base like the one we were talking about where anybody can access any fact whenever that's still going to be crucial i think that curatorial aspect of it is going to be is going to be where that goes and i think that we're going to see more of that and and those curators may or may not be within the existing system there could be new people who maybe have a different view or or a better way or 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 not do do, do you think this is the biggest most profound you know change happening in education or what do you think is the biggest thing happening right now that we should be looking at yeah i mean i i i do think i i think that the biggest change that's happening in education has not necessarily to do with technology and has not necessarily to do with that dispersal of authority within the educational marketplace although both of those two things are really crucial i think it has to do with the mindset of the consumer i think increasingly like in the same kind of way that i remember when i got my first computer back in richmond hill uh paul where we both grew up uh you know back in richmond i remember getting that computer i remember reading something by nicolas negroponte about the death of the book i remember looking at my huge pc and thinking i think books are going to be around for a bit and they still are around but the thing is that the book is a really effective technology for the thing that it delivers and what has changed though is the way in which we are accessing text in different kinds of ways that's pos- made possible by by an iPhone but what has to really change this goes to culture this goes to mindset it's the mindset of the children of this generation that is in our classrooms right now these people who have had a foundational educational experience during covid it's them and their children they're going to have a different sort of approach to how we understand education what it means and how you access than anyone before it and i don't think we're really seeing i don't think we're going to see the real uh shifts that that's going to bring about for the next decade but we will we're going to we're start to see it now but that's that's what's different about this generation who as i say they're in college classrooms right now they've come back from covid they have the resp- they have the memory both of being at home missing out on their high school year in person but also they take seriously the kinds of bonds the kinds of interactions the the laughter the kinds of connections that can be made by a digital means the way in which that everything that's important in terms of the mindset about accessing education through technology that's going to change and it's changing right now. So as we come to our to our last question because we're uh getting close to being out of time and I do like to remind my guests from time to time that uh you know I've interviewed the creators and founders of 
you know, Woodstock, uh, Greenpeace, uh, Global Citizen, uh, the the creator of the Apple Macintosh, uh, 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 the, the founders of The Doors and Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, they all have something in common, uh, uh, which um, you can figure out, you know, after you sort of hear them speak for a little while. But they all have a vision or they had a vision uh, that they couldn't necessarily uh, uh, defend or explain at the time, but yeah. to some extent came came true. I want to ask you uh, if you if you're brave enough and bold enough. Um, do you what do you think education is going to look like in the next, let's say, twenty years from now? Well, I, in the next twenty years, I I am confident that we'll be moving towards a more user centered model, one which disrupts education in the same way that Uber does for ride sharing or Airbnb, where we are really much more determining the course of our education, how it's shaped and the pace of it than has ever been possible. I, I mean, I think about it comes to these different modes of modular delivery, of speed delivery. I think that's always been a thing. I think that like, so the first kind of, you know, intensive learning, it shows up like in 1878 when a college does, something like a block plan where they do like one class at a time for one month at a time. We're at a moment in which technology has caught up to something that has always been a fundamental human desire. So long as there have been people who wanted to learn stuff, there've been people who want to learn it quicker. And I think there's also been people who would like to learn it more slowly. There's been people who want to do it on their, in somewhere in the middle, someone who want to do it you know, in an actual classroom, with an actual person, and some people who really hate going to classrooms. I think it will be able to make our decisions. We will have more freedom to direct our own decisions about education in the future in ways that we do not think are possible today. And is that all a good thing, or is there any bad, uh, negative uh, uh, outcomes uh, from something like that? Well, you know, there's there's nothing that has like a purely positive income I, outcome, I suppose. But I I I am optimistic about it. I I am I you know I'm somebody who was not always the best student in school, and I'm one of those people who get some things really quickly and other things I really struggle with. If there were different modalities to me that were available to me, like in high school. I think that I might have headed in a different direction. Who knows? But that wasn't a possibility. And so I am optimistic. It's hard, I guess, to be optimistic about education in that it's hard not to see it in this time of AI. Education is being in some way outmoded or headed towards um, increasing increasing de-skilling of the population. I don't think so. I just don't think that we know exactly what it looks like yet. But I'm I'm in it. And I want to know, I want to, I'm optimistic about it. I've seen the changes already in a very short period of time, and I can't wait to see what's next. Okay, Dr. Hayward, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it.